because we've talked a lot about why God did what he did in his son Jesus Christ and Paul answers the question right there God wanted it was his purpose and plan to set us free to be liberated and, that, and that's, that's the whole point that's what Paul this uh, this former persecutor of the church this former zealot for the religion of Judaism this man that was formerly had the same mind and attitude that these other folks who in the churches of Galatia have come in and are trying to influence the Christians there the Gentile Christians there that they need to become uh, obedient to the laws of Moses according to their understanding so that they might be saved and, be, and really be a Christian. Paul's saying, you don't understand. That's not the purpose here. God did what he did in Jesus Christ to set us free from that. And it doesn't matter. He's already liking the idea that if you're not in Christ, you're a slave. And that means if you're if you are a Hebrew and you are enslaving yourself to the law of Moses, to the religion of Judaism, or if you're a Gentile bound up in pagan idolatry, alien strangers from God, you're a slave. But Christ came, God sent him to, to in order to remedy all that. Now, as we, if chapters 5 and 6, uh, well, uh, Ed Wharton writes in his book, Freedom for Freedom Studies in Galatians, he says, Paul's point seems to be that while Christ freed us from the deadly curse of the law, it becomes our responsibility to obediently cooperate with him to maintain that freedom. That's what he means there when he says in verse 1, Continue to stand firm. Mere intellectual belief is not enough. We must trust and obey. <coughs> Let me read that again. He says, mere intellectual belief is not enough. We must trust and obey. In other words, we must do what? Okay, but what does he say there? He says... We must trust and obey. Another way to say that would be we must act on your faith. No, we must have faith. Mere intellectual belief is not enough. We must trust and obey. In other words, we must have faith. Okay? That's what it means to trust and obey. It's faith. Belief is a function of faith, but it's not all of it. So that's kind of the things that he's going to be addressing now. Uh, in the last two chapters of Galatians, Paul makes a transition from theology to more practical application. Okay. 
He spent all this time, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, talking about how uh, you need to understand the work of Jesus Christ, the purposes of God. This is how it happened. And now this is what it looks like to live uh, as a child of God, Galatians chapter 3. Okay, he talks about how we've been redeemed and adopted into God's family, chapter 3. And this, what Paul's saying now, is he goes forward, this is what it actually looks like. Um, he will frequently, in chapters 5 and 6, he will make statements, he will use, uh, he will say things, directives, uh, he will use verbs like be, wait, <coughs> walk, work, love, live, do, do not. All of these are what? These are directives, these are instructions. Remember, I said a minute ago, he's going to talk about this is what this is who you are, and this is what this is what it should look like in your life. Okay, you should be doing these things. You should not be doing these things. You should be working this way. You should be loving this way. Uh, you get the you get the point. Now, he says there, and Paul says there in chapter five and verse one, it was for freedom. That Christ set us free. Now he is he is a Hebrew, Paul. We don't have to go back into his heritage, his genealogy, or things like that. But he's talking to a bunch of Gentile Christians here in the Galatian churches. And he says it was it was for freedom that Christ set us. He's talking about us, you and me, okay, that set us free. Now, if they were not formerly uh, Jews, but he's lumping himself in that group, he, what is it, the question then becomes, what is it that Christ has set us free from? Sin. Hmm? Sin? Larry, you're fixing to say something. Well, he, he set us free from the slavery of friend, but uh, slavery of sin. But also, he set us free from the from the law. We don't have to. We still have the law, but we're not uh, bound by all the things that that law put on us. All the sacrifices and all that that stuff that we get. And, and that may be true if if you are a Hebrew, but these folks are not Hebrews. They weren't given the law. They weren't. They were not giving. They were not given the ceremonial practices. And we've talked about this before. We've touched on it briefly. Uh, they they were not given the ceremonial observances. They were not given circumcision. They were not given uh, the temple ritual. That, that wasn't theirs. That was given to the Hebrews. So if these folks are coming in from the Gentile world, Paul was telling them, you've been set free, I've been set free. What have they been set free from? Which is the what? Starts with a C. It's the curse of the law. 
But remember that the, the law of sin and death predates the law of Moses. Because the law of sin and death goes where? All the way back to where? Garden. To the garden. Doesn't it? Because Paul says in the book of Romans that we've all sinned in the likeness of Adam. And if we sin in the likeness of Adam, we have sinned how? By being disobedient. Paul's great declaration of the result of Christ's work is the believer's freedom and Christ's intent for him to remain free. Okay? That's a, that's a, that's a finer point here because he's telling them, look, you're free. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to go back into bondage. Okay, whether you're Hebrew, or you're Gentile, whatever. Christ actually set us free from sin for continual freedom from sin. Now let that sink in just for a second. Christ actually set us free from sin for continual freedom from sin. What's the implications of that? You know, we, we talked about having our sins washed away, right? And that, that, that implies what? Everything that has happened from that uh, from that point backwards is what? Huh? It's gone. It's gone. But Warden is making the point here that Christ actually set us free from sin for continual freedom from sin. We're under the blood of Jesus. Which means what? So the gift of the forgiveness of sins is not unlike the gift of the indwelling, the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit in that it's what? Perpetual. Christians are free for freedom. And it doesn't matter if you were formerly or, or if you are coming out of the, the pagan world or if you're coming out of the world of, of Judaism you're a Christian <coughs> remember what Paul said in, in, to the Corinthians he said if anyone is in Christ he's a what? he's a new creature and that's the idea is yes you are freshly minted in Christ but also uh, a, 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 a Universal way of looking at that is is that the new the new creature is what the Christian the Christian is the new creature okay the uh, Jew the pagan those are the old creatures the new creature is the Christian okay we have not been set free only to return to our former slavery. <coughs> Our Father wants us to remain free. <coughs> but the question rises, what is the slavery from which we are set free? And what is the freedom from which we are free? <coughs> is this freedom from the law or from sin? <coughs> Who had the law? 
the Hebrews have, were bound up under the law, okay, as a testimony to who? The whole world, right? Is this freedom from the law or from sin? If we say Paul meant that we are free from sin to remain free from sin, then inasmuch as Paul also said, do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, we must affirm that the Christian can be subject again to the slavery of sin. In other words, if Paul is warning them against it, then obviously it's capable of becoming bound once again or going back into bondage. <coughs> you see what he's saying? Paul wouldn't be warning these folks not to be going back into bondage if what? If it were not possible to do so. This means, listen carefully, that the Christian can so sin as to lose his precious salvation. A position hardly denied by many evangelicals, <coughs> not to say by most believers. Since this view sets up tension with the theology of the impossibility of apostasy, those who maintain that the theology consistently interpret the passage to teach that Paul meant that the Galatians were not to return to the ritual drudgery of law's ordinance. But that doesn't make any sense. They were never under the law. Not the ceremonial and the ritual and the and the all, all the different observances. So when he talks, when he's telling, the point is this, when he's telling a bunch of Gentiles <coughs> to not go back into slavery, do not go back into bondage, He's not talking to them about returning to the ritual and the ordinate observances of the law of Moses. He's warning them against apostasy. Because he's already pointed out in chapter 4 that to be under, to, to live in a world of sin, to be, to live in an existence steeped in pagan idolatry is no different than to live as the Hebrew does bound to the law of Moses. All, no matter what type, are under slavery. They are all in bondage. Now, so the question is, is when he's talking to these Gentiles, is he's warning them about being back under the law of Moses? They were never under the law. The churches of Galatia were predominantly Gentile. This becomes significant as we take knowledge of the fact that the Gentile Christians at Galatia were never under the law of Moses to have been freed from it. They, therefore, could not have returned to it, as Paul says again. If they place themselves under the law, it would be not to return to it. It would be their initial submission to it. So the question is this. From what then did Christ set them free? If he wasn't setting them free from the law, but he has set them free from something, what is that something? What is he setting them free from? What is the bondage to which they could again be yoked? The bondage to which they would return. And in what way could they be yoked to that bondage? What is he setting them free from? 
not saving them from free from the law of Moses. They were never under it. Sin and death. While the Hebrew folks were given the law, the law was a testimony to the whole world that the whole world is what? Under the curse of sin and death. In other words, the law was not to set anybody free from sin and death. It was a testimony given to the Hebrew people as a testimony to the world that all the world is under the curse of sin and death. Whether you are a Hebrew or a Gentile, you are under the curse. The purpose of the law was to educate all men to the fatality of their sin and to curse uh, or excuse me, and to the curse of death pronounced by that law, the law of sin and death. You sin, what happens to you? You die. Okay? The law was a testimony to that reality. Consequently, Gentiles, though they are not under the law of Moses, committed sin and were indicted by the curse of the law. The curse of the law being that if you sin, you die. When the Galatians were justified, they were set free from the curse of the law, which is the curse of death. decided that when he sees faith 
or when he sees trust and obedience, then he's going to reckon that as righteousness. He's going to consider it as if you are righteous. Is there anyone righteous? No, not one. Okay? But God has decided in his own mind that when he sees trust and obedience, when he sees faith in the life of someone, he reckons that as if they were righteous. It's not something we define. It's something that takes place in the mind of God. When our faith is reckoned for righteousness, we are set free from more than our past sins. We are set free from the law's curse of our future sins. You mean that I'm, I'm going to sin again? Is that what that means, Dale? Kelly, is that what that means? When our faith is reckoned for righteousness, we are set free from more than our past sins. We are set free from the law's curse of our future sins. You see what I'm saying when I said a minute ago that it's not unlike the dwelling gift of the Holy Spirit in that it's perpetual? Paul reasons in the Roman letter that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ inasmuch as by the cross and by the law of the spirit of life he has made us free from the law of sin and death. The law that separates us from God when we sin, in other words. Okay? When someone sins, what happens to them? They are separated from God. But what about when the Christian sins? Are they separated from God? Not if Christ set us free from that curse. Does that not uh, does that not uh, add to our understanding of the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit? Because when, as a Christian, you sin, Dale, what what happens? If you're the child of God, you have the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. What happens? Well, the Holy Spirit kind of intervenes, I guess, uh, but it gives you that opportunity to, to maybe to recognize and, and to ask for forgiveness. And, and so, yeah, and so what is then, I guess what I'm looking for is what is the activity of the Holy Spirit then when, when we find sin in our own life? It does what? Does it push us away from God or does it push us? Make you aware of that sin and draw you closer. Make you want to not go that way. Anybody <clears throat> else have anything to add to that? So, what really what we're talking about then is having the benefit of our relationship with God and Jesus Christ. It really. Uh, when I read that, it really caused me to, uh, it kind of gives us a better understanding of the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life. Yes? Would you agree with that? <laughs> this 
truth also emerges in Romans chapter 6. The Romans knew that they had been freed from sin for freedom from future sin. Paul, for do you not know, he's talking about in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, maybe 1 through 4, does not express an ignorance on the part of the Roman Christians relating to what happened to them at their baptism. His question is rhetorical. It carries an affirmative answer in that it is understood by the Romans. He then proceeds to build an argument for Christian living on what they knew. <clears throat> it was precisely on the grounds that the Romans knew that at baptism they were freed from freedom that some in the church falsely claimed that freedom from sin liberates us to a life of sin without restraint. That's not what that means, does it? Going back to what we just talked about, when we talk about being from free from the sin, the curse of sin and death, the curse of sin and separation from God, it doesn't mean that we live without restraint. It means that we have the blessing of what? Remaining close to God. Okay? I've got nine forty. Is that well? I had people coming in the back door, and oh, I, had too many, I had too many clickers. I pushed them. Okay. <laughs> well, let, me, let me finish reading this right quick, please. The Romans understood that grace extended beyond forgiveness of their past sins to forgiveness of their future sins. Do you agree with that? Let me read that again. The Romans understood that grace extended beyond forgiveness of their past sins to forgiveness of their future sins. Do you, do you agree with that? That, that a grace, grace, yes, covers our past sins, but it also extends to our future sins? Would it be, would it be intellectually and spiritually honest to tell someone who had come to Christ that they're never going to sin again? So then, uh, do you agree with what he says here? That part of the understanding is, is that grace not only covers our past sins, but it also extends to our future sins. Do you agree with that? <coughs> They understood that sin cannot master the Christian since we are not under the law, but under grace. But they were drawing erroneous conclusions from this base that would lead them back to death. In other words, an idea that they could just uh, live however they wanted to. That's a dangerous thought. We'll, we'll pick up there next.